Hi guys, welcome to Hauntedology. My name is Megan. I'm your host and along with my mom, who is your co-host, we tell you stories every week that are of hauntings or paranormal activity in different cities or a city in America and eventually the rest of the world. It is our belief that every city has a story to tell and it's our job to tell it. So we thank you guys for listening and we can't wait to dive into this week's episode. So let's go. serial killers and mass murders have become a way of life, two adults and six children were found brutally murdered in their beds in the small midwestern town of Visla, Iowa. During the weeks that followed, life in the small town changed drastically. Residents began to reinforce locks, openly carry weapons, and huddle together while sleeping. News reporters and private detectives flooded the streets as well. As things always do in small towns, accusations, rumors, and suspicions ran rampant among friends and families. Bloodhounds were brought in, law enforcement agencies from neighboring counties and states joined forces, hundreds of interviews filled thousands of pages, and yet the murders remain unsolved and the murderer unpunished to this day. The story begins on June 9th when the family left their home for church early one Sunday morning. They planned on having dinner with their grandmother after the morning service, spending the afternoon with her and then returning to her home to spend the night after the Children's Day exercises concluded. The girls, however, were invited by Catherine Moore to spend the night at the Moore home instead. Prior to leaving for the exercises, Mr. Moore placed a call to the Stillinger home to ask permission for the girls to stay overnight. Blanche, Lena, and Ina's older sister told Mr. Moore that her parents were both outdoors, but she would pass the message along to them. The Children's Day program at the Presbyterian Church was an annual event and began approximately at 8 p.m. on Sunday evening, June 9th. According to witnesses, Sarah Moore coordinated the exercises. All of the Moore children, as well as the Stillinger girls, participated. Josiah Moore sat in the congregation. The program ended at 9.30 p.m. and the Moore family, along with the Stillinger sisters, walked home from church. They entered their home sometime between 9.45 and 10 p.m. The following morning at approximately 5 a.m., Mary Peckham, the Moore's next-door neighbor, stepped into her yard to hang her laundry. At approximately 7 a.m., she realized that not only had the Moore sisters not been outside, the chores hadn't began, but not only that, the house itself seemed unusually still. Between 7 and 8 a.m., Mary Peckham approached the house and knocked on the door. When she received no response, she attempted to open the door, only to find it locked from the inside. After letting out the Moore's chickens, Mary placed a call to Josiah's brother, Ross Moore. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked. He then unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. 
While Peckham stood on the porch, Moore went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's body on the bed. Moore immediately told Peckham to call Hank Horton, Vistula's primary peace officer who arrived shortly after. Horton's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon was an axe belonging to Josiah, and it was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were found. Doctors concluded the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggest that the killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stillinger guests went to sleep. The killers began in the master bedroom where Josiah and Sarah Moore were sleeping. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing. Ooh. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That's really bad. This seems like a crime of not really passion because that yeah that leans more towards right an affair of some sort yeah this seems more like a personal yeah personal vendetta or yes something. thank you yeah I mean it just seems very very personal like I'm really really ticked off at you yeah I mean because poor Josiah he caught crap I mean and I don't and you just you wait. Wait in their house like a like a spider just to pounce on them. That's spider. amazing. I don't know. Viper? Anyway, you wait in the house to pounce on them. <laughs> I don't know what you wait like, but wow. That's just amazing. They used the blade of the axe on Josiah while the blunt end on the rest of the victims. They proceeded into the children's rooms and bludgeoned Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul in the head in the same manner as their parents. They returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elder Moors, knocking over a shoe that had filled with blood before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and killing Ina and Lena. Investigators believe that all of the victims except for Lena Stillinger had been asleep when they were murdered. Mm. They thought that she was awake and tried to fight back. She was found lying crosswise on the bed with a defensive wound on her arm. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarment, leading law enforcement to speculate the killers had sexually molested her or at least attempted to do so. The Moore Stillinger funeral services were held in Vistula's town square on June 12, 1912 with thousands in attendance. National Guardsmen blocked the street as a hearse moved towards the firehouse where eight victims lay. Their caskets not on display during the funeral were later carried on several wagons to Vistula Cemetery for burial. The funeral procession was 50 carriages long. It's a lot of carriages. I mean, that was probably most of the town. Small town. Like in 1912. Small they town. They say small town back then. They mean small town. They probably all knew each other, so probably the whole town yeah. was there. Gracious. That's just so vicious. And it, it, that's just what makes me think it's personal. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think the two Stillinger girls only got it because they yeah. were there. Yeah, because they slept over. Leave no witnesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although we don't know who did it, there is one curious person in this case, and his name, or at least what he goes by, is the Reverend. Wow, that's um oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah, I guess first. At 5.19 a.m., the morning following the murders, Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly left Vistula on board the westbound number five train and allegedly told fellow travelers there were eight dead souls back in Vistula, Iowa. Butchered in their beds, Kelly had arrived in Vistula for the first time the Sunday morning of the murders. 
and attended a Sunday school performance by the Stillinger girls before departing Monday. He returned two weeks later and, posing as a detective, joined a tour of the murder house with a group of investigators. Kelly, the grandson and son of English ministers, had suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. Since immigrating to America with his wife in 1904, Kelly had preached in Methodist churches across North Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, and Iowa. He'd been assigned as a visiting minister to several small communities north of Visala, where he developed a reputation for odd behavior. Mm-hmm. He's, he's looking a little more suspicious. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's um, looking like a pretty good suspect. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious if the other towns he um, ministered to had mm-hmm. any deaths. Yeah, that would be something interesting if we could find that out. But yeah, back in 1912. Yeah, it's not like you can yeah. quite Google that. Yeah, definitely. But get this, some of his odd behavior included a conviction for sending obscene material through the mail, and he had spent time in a mental hospital. Hmm. So I guess he was sending nudes before sending nudes were a thing. All righty then. Yeah. Because you would not do that back then. And through the mail, anybody could open that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, hmm. Grandma could open that. <laughs> Poor Grandma. Well, I mean, the thing is, I can't. I'm sorry. This is so rude. How can you get your thrill from that? You don't know if they open the mail or not. Exactly. You don't know who opened the mail. You don't know the response. I mean, exactly. It's completely. And not only that, back in those days, who developed the pictures? <laughs> I mean, it's not like they could go down their local Walmart and get pictures developed. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Walmart. <laughs> I mean, they had, they had dark rooms they had to go in back then. I Maybe think... he had his own dark room. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to go in there either. Lord knows what he does in his dark room, folks. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Reverend Sicko. <laughs> A grand jury indicted Kelly for Lena Stillinger's murder, and he was interrogated throughout the summer of 1917. While in jail awaiting trial, on August 31st at 7 a.m., Kelly signed a confession to the murder saying, God had whispered to him to suffer the children to come unto me. Kelly recanted his confession at trial, and his case went to jury on September 26th. The jury deadlocked 11 to 1 for acquittal. I knew not 12 to 12, and it's still... I have no idea. A second... I mean, he's a sicko. He is a sicko. When God says, suffer the children to come to me, he don't mean kill them. He means let them come and lovingly, gently worship with me. Just in case anybody's confused on that. Somebody needs to come back to seminary. Oh, my Linda. That would not be why seminary started. (laughs) Back then, any Joe Blow could be a preacher. Still can, but that's a whole other issue. A second jury was then immediately impaneled, but they ultimately acquitted Reverend Kelly in November. No one else has ever been tried for the murders, and the crime remains one of the most horrific unsolved mass murders in American history. The town of Vistula is forever living with this mystery. Had the same exact case taken place today, we would probably have found the murderer or murderers by now. Yes. The guilty party is more than likely long dead, though, so... Well, this is true from 1912, yeah, yeah. But they left so much DNA behind. Yeah. The cigarette butt? Everything. I mean, I'm the sure murder their weapon? fingerprints were on the murder weapon. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't use gloves. Um, I'm quite certain their fingerprints were in blood all over the house. And, you know, then, of course, the assaulting of the young girl. I, it's, it's insane. I mean, things that, things that murderers would know better than to do now... 
do that sound stupid? Yeah. But um, that's just crazy. I mean, he so incriminated himself. And then his his, his questionable statement. past. Yes, his questionable past, his statement that God told him, suffer the little children to come to me. Dude, how can you not say he's guilty? If he's not guilty, he's still a creep. <laughs> Amen. King guy, got to give you that one. With such a gruesome and violent crime, many believe the house has been left haunted by the events that took place here. A house with such a dark and mysterious past attracted rumors of a haunting. The house was lived in for years after the murder, although families never stayed for long. From what I can tell, there's not a ghostly phenomenon that hasn't been reported at this house. Disembodied footsteps, things moving, voices, apparitions, shadows, and just in general, bad vibes, like you name it, the Vistula Axe Murder House has it all. It's been on basically every ghost hunting show, from ghost adventures to scariest places on earth, and all of the essential spooky podcasts, including Lore and My Favorite Murder, became aware of the home and did a show on it. So it's literally been everywhere and it has everything going on in it. Okay. I mean, this thing's made it from TV shows and podcasts to... Yeah, um... Yeah, I mean, you think about all those people so brutally killed in that house. Gotta leave some bad juju. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can definitely see one or two of them spirits staying around saying, okay, if y'all ain't convict him, I'm gonna take care of him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I definitely get that. In 2014, a man stayed there overnight to do a ghost hunt and inexplicably stabbed himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Just out of the blue stabbed himself. The Montgomery County Sheriff, Joe Sampson, told Vice News that Larson, who was the man that stabbed himself, arrived at the house with a group of friends to do a, quote, recreational paranormal investigation. Sampson says that he believes Larson was alone in the house at the time of the incident and called his friends for help when the stabbing occurred. When they arrived, they found Larson stabbed in the chest. He had an apparent self-inflicted wound and was flown from a local hospital to Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha, Iowa. Since the incident, Larson has recovered from his injuries. Well, that's good to know. Interesting. Self-inflicted. I guess you can tell by the angle. The angle. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. And that's what I've always heard in these kind of cases is by the angle and um, fingerprints on the knife. And But, I don't know. I guess the aberration made him do that or possession possessed him maybe i don't mm, this is interesting a website named thrillist also named the house the scariest place in iowa this past halloween of 2019 but i mean this is a place that has a court board dedicated to place pictures of evidence of paranormal hauntings on so that has to say enough for itself there one person who visited the house and saw the court board said this about the evidence presented on it quote There were lots of nighttime pictures with ghostly orbs and even a snapshot of someone whose back had been scratched supposedly by an unseen entity. Okay. Well, if you are posting all of this, are you angering the spirits that are there? Are you inviting other spirits to come in? Yeah. mm -mm. You got to be really careful how you play with this stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. And they're posting it in the house. That can that I think that, I think that would attract all kind of like negative energy mm-hmm. and negative yeah. vibes, bad juju, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, definitely. The same person goes on to say that they're not the only ones visiting the house on this particular day, but 
to do a little exploring, and this is what they had to say about the house and what they experienced. They said the place was furnished with a creepy mix of period antiques and modern kids' toys, which, while anachronistic, definitely lent an unsettling air to the place. Especially in the kids' room upstairs, particularly haunting was the attic space where the murderer allegedly hid out while he waited for the family to fall asleep. It was oppressively hot, and the feeling I had while being up there can only be described as, quote, dark. Okay. And he was there during the day, is that correct? Um, yeah. <laughs> this person finishes their story of experiences by saying that they didn't just come here looking for proof of the paranormal, just a good ghost story. If you are a truly brave soul, you can go to BillaIowa.com, B-I-L-L-I-S-C-A-I-O-W-A.com, and find out more about how you can tour this house. They have daylight tours and overnight tours. So you can check out their website and find out which tour is for you. And if you are brave enough to take one, please reach out and let us know because we would love to hear your story.